The scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalm 146. If you'll turn in your Bibles to that passage, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirits depart, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. The Lord, who remains faithful forever, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. It's always an exciting part of church life when one of our people decides they would like to follow the Lord in obedience and, and be baptized. So I'm going to ask Harmony Giesbrecht if she would come up here at this time and join me. I want to talk just a little bit about baptism and what it means. In Bible days, baptism was something that was usually administered right after conversion, and, and there was a high price often involved for it because it in, in it rather because often it would mean either death or some form of persecution when you made a public statement of faith like that and it was easier to be a secret service christian or a secret believer than it was to to get out and and, and public and be baptized i remember one time a, a lady um came to me she wasn't from our church and she says i want to be baptized but i don't want anybody to see it i just want you and me there i said no, that's not going to happen like baptism is something we do in public. Jesus died in public for us all. This is a public statement. And so uh, baptism is, is an initiatory right into the Christian faith. But for many uh, of our young people and for many people today, it's become uh, rather than an initiatory and, and harmony. She asked Jesus into her heart when you said you were around eight or something. eh? And uh, so, so this is more of a lordship decision. This is something like this is a, a step of faith. And harmony says, I want to go on. And so I said to Harmony, I said, what we need to hear from you is, is the fact that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. But I also think we as a church need to hear what brought her to this point in time. One of the questions I asked Harmony, like, like why baptism, why now? And I'm going to let her tell that story. Okay. I'm a little nervous, but... <laughs> Hello, my name is Harmony Giesbrecht. I am the youngest daughter of Esther and Alan Giesbrecht. I have had the privilege of being born into a Christian family and being homeschooled with a Christian curriculum, so I have had God's truths taught to me all my life. There was a time when I was younger that God brought me to realize that I was a sinner and that having Christian parents doesn't make me a Christian. He drew me to himself, and at that time, I became a true child of God. After that time, I went through many bad times and good times, but I could always feel the Holy Spirit working in me. 
I know that I have been justified by God because he is currently making me into the person he wants me to be. I want to be baptized because it is a symbol, it is a symbol of me being cleansed by God and it is my commitment to letting God guide me in the days ahead. Please pray for me in my Christian walk as I look towards the future and thank you for being my church family. All right, just stay right here. We're going to pray for you, okay? Would you stand with us and uh, we'll pray together for Harmony. Father, thank you so much that Harmony has come to this point in time where she wants a deeper walk with Jesus and uh, we want to celebrate that as a family. And as a church family, we uh, uphold her and we stand behind her and we will continue to encourage her and to help her in her Christian walk. Father, we just ask your blessing upon her. We ask that you would make her strong, a strong, godly, beautiful woman inside and out. And we thank you for the work that you are going to do in her and through her. In Jesus' name, amen. It's, it's our practice at Emmanuel to give a verse to each person as they get baptized. And uh, as Harmony told her story and as I thought about a little bit about her family who have uh, mostly scattered far and wide, um, I thought of this verse and, and it's from Isaiah 58, Harmony, and it says, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. So, one more question. Harmony, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ to be the Savior of your soul and the Lord of your life? I do. Then upon your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. This is one of my favorite passages about God, who He is. Psalm 103, and we'll start at verse 8 and read through to the end of 14. The Bible says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Today is a time where I'm focusing on fathers. So guys, I'm talking to you, and I think I have a little bit 
um, a little bit of insight into the subject, not a whole lot. It's like Phil Calloway who wrote the book, I used to have answers and now I have kids. So um, I, I don't have a whole lot of answers, but I do hope to give you some encouragement along the way. And let me give you ladies a word of warning. Um, this is not an opportunity for you to wave that finger under your husband's nose. Uh, it's an opportunity, well, sometimes my wife does and I need it, yeah. But it's an opportunity for you to come alongside your spouse and to help him be the best dad that he can ever be. Um, one of the rites of passage for most teenagers uh, as it was for me, is that somewhere along the line you get a driver's license. Now back in my day, I am so old, back in my day, you know, nowadays you have to have turn signals. I had turn signals on my motorcycle. I wasn't even allowed to use them. I still had to use hand signals. Anyway, um, you know, like, like uh, th there's somewhere along the line you have to learn how to drive. Now, Back in my day, we all knew how to drive. I went to, I went to the government office and I got my learner's license on my 16th birthday and I did my driving test two days later. And the guy says to me, um, did, you get, did you just turn 16 two days ago or did you turn 16 a year ago? I said, no, I turned 16 two days ago. He said, you're lucky you never got caught. Um, but nowadays, you have to take driver's ed if you're going to get your driver's license, because if you don't, it's going to cost you a whole pile of money. And then and one of the other rites of passage is high school graduation, and it takes you 12 or 13 years of work to get there. If you want a job even at the chicken place, you got to take some training. At least my daughter did when she started to work uh, at either place. You have to take some training on how to do your particular job. And if you want to get into post-secondary education or if you want to learn to drive a truck or operate heavy equipment or if you want to get into a medical field, you do need to take some training. I had an angiogram at Royal, Royal University Hospital in Saskatoon the other day. There were a lot of people in that room that were buzzing around there. Hopefully they knew what they were doing. Because there were people sticking stuff on me and then injecting me with things and, uh, and all kinds of things. And there was a guy there who says, Hi, my name is Jerry. He says, I'm learning how to do this. Well, I hope you're doing a good job of this, buddy, you know. And, and, and the, there was a, a, a doctor there, like I had to sign a release form that, that, you know, this was a teaching hospital and I acknowledge that and I had to let other people practice on me. And, and so the guy was practicing and, oh, it hurt one time. But anyway, so, you know, and, and then... The doctor, the specialist who was teaching him said, you know, do this, do that, whatever. He says, can I help you with that? And so he'd do the thing. And, and, and it was, you know, like, like somebody has to learn somewhere along the line, you have to learn how to do that stuff. And even getting married usually involves some premarital counseling. But what about fatherhood? Any guy can become a father, Right? doesn't take a whole lot of brains or education or anything else. Any guy can be a father. And some fathers-to-be actually go to prenatal classes. But when that child is born, I remember Kathy saying to me, like, whoa, you know, like, here's this baby. Now I don't know what to do with it. 
I learned a lot since then. I changed a lot more diapers on my grandkids than I ever did on my own kids, but I'm, that's kind of over too now. But we've all had fathers who have failed to live up to the task somewhere along the line. My dad lost his dad when, when my dad was 11 years old, and so he never had much of a childhood or, or growing up years. And, and I really think my dad just kind of, he had no example, so he just kind of made it up as he went along. And sometimes he failed and sometimes he succeeded. And when it happened to me, I was sort of clueless, and lots of it I just learned as each situation unfolded. And I'm not sure that I have did it correctly or that I did it right. There were times that I felt as a father horribly inadequate, and I desperately sought help when my family was coming unglued. I couldn't find many answers, but I wound up turning to the Scriptures for help. And there isn't a whole lot of specific instruction in the Bible. There's some there, but there isn't a manual in the Bible, how to be the greatest dad ever. And so I thought, where can I go to learn? And I found help as I thought about God being my heavenly father. Found a lot of instruction, and I found a lot of comfort, and I'd like to share some of those lessons with you. I want to take you guys to two different places. One is the things that God does for us and that we need to do for our children, and then the things that God doesn't do for us, and that's almost as instructive as the things that God does do for us. So here are some of the things God does for us. Anson, if you would put John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 there, we read these words, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. God adopts us. Any man on earth, just about any man on earth, can become a father. But God chooses to become a dad. He adopts us. He didn't beget us, but he adopts us, fully knowing the kind of person we are. He adopts us. Reality is that men are basically selfish, but it takes a real man to become a dad. And sometimes we don't think through all that a whole lot. Kathy and I struggled. I remember Kathy saying to me one time, I want a baby. We'd been married for a couple of years, and she said, I want a baby. I just want a little baby. That's when it all started, and it's all her fault. And, and so, well, okay, hon, if that's what you want, let's, let's have a baby. And so Kathy got pregnant, and we lost the baby. And Kathy got pregnant again, and we lost the baby. And then there was a whole year where nothing happened. And I, I went from the stage where I said, okay, if you want a baby, let's have a baby, to the point where I desperately sought out God and said, God, could we please have a child? And, and I was angry with God for a while because it seemed like you know, here are all these other people indiscriminately having babies, 
And here, Lord, there's, there's Kathy and, and me, and, and we're Christian parents, and we want a baby, and we're going to raise these, this child and, and more children if we have them for you, and, and you're not doing that. Like, what's wrong with you, God? Why aren't you giving us a, a child? And so by the time Sandy arrived, I was a lot more ready as a father to have a baby than if I would have just said, yeah, okay. And God adopts us. He purposely goes out and says, you know what? I am going to adopt you as my child. You can be part of my family. You can call me dad. And I'll look after you, and I'm gonna, I'm, I've got great stuff planned for you. Come into my family. I've, I've got a home that I'm building for you, and, and come be part of that. I want to be your father. God adopts us. And because he adopts us, he provides for us. Matthew 6, 31 to 33 says these words, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need him. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God says, I am going to look after you. If I'm going to adopt you, I'm going to take responsibility for you. I will provide for you. And we as fathers need to not only impregnate our wives and, and to, to have children, but we need to claim them as our own, to adopt them, so to speak, and then to provide for them. God genuinely cares for us. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29 to 31, Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, two little birds? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I drove truck for 11 years. 11 years I jammed gears and double clutched. And I killed lots of birds. I ran over birds, there were feathers flying. Every once in a while there would be a bunch of grouse or ptarmigan on the road, and you'd, you know those they got all the brains of a pea, I think, those animals. And, and they would, you know, like, like you'd run over a mama grouse with, with a whole bunch of little chicks, and all the little chicks would go, whoof, you know, because try and scare the truck. Uh, and, and I'd run over them with six axles and 18 wheels and look into rearview mirrors, and there's feathers flying everywhere. God, you knew that. This spring, I was staying at Jurgen's cabin out at Tobin Lake, and and all of a sudden, there was this great big curb boing on the living room window. What was that? So I looked out, and here's a stunned grouse laying there in front of the house. And I thought, Lord, there's another one of your critters. And that grouse sat under a spruce tree for two days, stunned. <laughs> he was alive. He'd sit there and blink. <laughs> and I'm saying, Lord, and I don't know what happened to that bird, whether it became a meal for somebody or, or, or something, or whether it just flew away. But I thought, you know, that grouse nailing that window, I was no surprise to God. He knew about that. He knows that that critter is sitting there under that spruce tree trying to gather his wits about him or her, whatever that was. God genuinely cares for us. God also has compassion on us. The passage we just read, 
As a father has compassion on his children, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He genuinely cares. He genuinely has compassion, and the proof of that compassion lies in the gift of his Son and the forgiveness of our sins. And I know that human fathers, human fathers can often be harsh and and rigid and dogmatic and legalistic and unforgiving. And God isn't like that. Human fathers can be selfish and self-centered and critical and controlling and power-obsessed. And sometimes, as a human father, I'm just plain dumb. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I'm just plain dumb. And even in the last number of months, I've had to apologize to one of my daughters again. And I remember when my daughters were teenagers and I would, you know, we, we discuss what activities were appropriate and what weren't, what things they could do, what things they couldn't do. And I had to ask myself the question, am I, am I saying no to something they want because it's about me and I need to have control? Or is it, am I saying no to this simply because I believe that that is the very best thing? Am I thinking like God or am I thinking like a control freak? Am I thinking like someone who, who wants to have power, someone who needs to feel good about himself, and so I have to put somebody else down? But God also disciplines us. In Hebrews chapter 7 or 12, let's turn there if you have your Bibles with you. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. This is the part I don't like. I like the compassion and forgiveness and God providing for me and caring for me and adopting me stuff. But the, the discipline stuff, I'm not so crazy about. But the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7, that we are to endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more then should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I never liked discipline very much. And as a kid, um, there were several favorite forms of punishment that my mom and dad had. Now, one of them was corners. Uh, stand in a corner and, or sit in a corner. Usually it was stand in the corners and, and mumble lines about, I will never throw my sister's bra out her bedroom window again. Um, I spent lots of time in corners. I spent lots of time locked up in closets or locked out of the house. And mom's big stick was always, just wait till dad gets home. Yeah. And oh, the fear of getting caught. 
I explained to someone the other day, like, like with this heart issue that I have, people ask me, how are you feeling? And I finally figured it out. You know, um, maybe some of you have never done this, but, but you know when you've done something bad and you got caught and you're trying to lie your way out of it? Nobody of you have ever done that? But you know that you've done something bad. And you got caught, but you're not quite sure that, that whoever caught you really knows. And so you're trying like crazy to lie your way out of it, and your heart's beating like a trip hammer. Remember that feeling? No? The police stop you and ask you how fast you were going, and you say, I don't know. <laughs> Remember that? How is it? My mom says, you know, like, just wait till dad comes home and... Oh, the heart would start hammering and I would be desperately afraid. I mean, the anticipation was way worse than the punishment ever was, but oh, my stars. And my dad was a human dad. He was quick to lash out in anger with his hands and his feet. He did that. But he was also the dad who took me to church. He was also the dad who took me to places and spent his afternoons off with me and, and got me into places and things that, that other kids never got to see because my dad had the audacity to ask, can I take my son or show my son this particular thing? I got to ride on fire trucks. I got to go down in engine rooms and ships and all kinds of other forbidden places simply because my dad asked. My dad was the one who built my kites and taught me to fly them. But then we came to Canada, and all he ever did was work, and all that came to an end. And I got to resent my dad for many, many years. I turned away from him until I finally became an adult and went to Bible college, and he decided to come out of retirement and go back to work to support us the last three years that we were there. God disciplines us, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he slaps our fingers, and sometimes he does things that are a little more drastic than that. But he still loves me, because he lets me call him dad. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. I remember when I was in Bible school, I went to school with a man who was from Mali in West Africa. And as we did there, we opened every class with prayer, and, and he was asked to pray one morning, and so the teacher asked him to pray, and he stopped and said very simply, good morning, Father. It's the first time I'd ever heard that. You know, when you walk into a house, hi, Dad, I'm home. He probably wants to know how it's going. And we have these formal conversations with God instead of saying, hi, Dad, I'm home. How's your day? What can we talk about today? Can we talk about things? He lets us call him Dad. Not just Father, but he lets us call him Dad. Father is so formal. So God does all these wonderful things for us, and those are things that you and I as human father can seek to emulate. When I was dealing with teenage children, 
saying, God, help me to be compassionate. Help me to be gracious like you are. Help me to be forgiving, but help me to discipline in love and, and, and in righteousness and for the, for the sake of my children, Lord. Help me not to be some kind of angry control freak. All those things God does for us, but then are things that God doesn't do for us. Do you realize that? There are things that God chooses not to do for us. He could, but he chooses not to. And one of the things that God doesn't do for us is that he doesn't solve all our problems. He cares about them, but he doesn't fix them for us. He hears us, he cares about us, he takes care of us, but he doesn't always get us out of our jams. Sometimes he walks beside us, sometimes he carries us, but sometimes he has to drag us kicking and screaming. We don't like what he does, but God knows what's best, and he doesn't solve all of our problems. Sometimes in his wisdom, he allows us to go through them until we finally learn what we have to learn. I remember being up in the bush in northern British Columbia, and, and I had gone through, through a, a hard, hard time emotionally and, and depression and all the rest of that, and finally I said, okay, God, I learned my lesson. Get me out of here. And God said, no, you haven't. And he stuck me there for another whole year. And I hated it at the time. But it was good for me. He didn't solve my problems for me because there were things that I needed to learn. God also doesn't keep us from making mistakes. He gives us enough room to get into trouble. When I was looking for wisdom, I found so much in that parable of the lost son in Luke chapter 15. You know the son that went to his dad and says, give me my stuff, I want to go blow it. And the dad did. It's absolutely inconceivable. And then the son went and, and wasted it all. But you notice what the father didn't do. He didn't send someone after the son to keep an eye on him. He didn't keep sending him money to, to make sure that he was going to be okay. He didn't go looking for him. He didn't go chasing him. He didn't, he didn't argue with him. He didn't plead with him. But he waited. He stood there and he waited. He always kept his eye on the horizon because he knew that sooner or later the sun would probably come home. Waited for him to learn his lesson while keeping an eye on the horizon. God doesn't keep us from making mistakes, and it's the dumb things that I've done as a father that have taught me things that I now know. I just wish I wouldn't have had to do some of those mistakes. And another thing God doesn't do, he doesn't make us make the right choices. Think about this. If there was ever a perfect father, and there is, and that's God himself. But God chooses to allow us to exercise our own free will so that you and I can make the right choices if we want to. But not even the most perfect father in the world can make his children do everything that he wants them to do. He can, but he gives us a free will so that we make those choices ourselves. And it's a great help for me as a parent and as a father to know that. But it's also hard to know 
when I need to take my hands off, when I need to back away, and when I need to zip my lip. And the other thing that God does not do, He doesn't give us everything that we ask or demand, and in His wisdom, we know better. And you know what? When it comes to fatherhood, there's really no manual. But we do have a heavenly parent. We have, guys, we have a heavenly father. You can look to him. You can make mistakes. The good part is I can make mistakes. And God is willing to work with us and says, well, okay, buddy, that didn't work. Let's try something else. God works with us, gives us hope. He's the perfect parent. And for me to learn as a father and as a grandfather, I need to keep looking to my heavenly father. I'm going to run another video for you at this time. Anson, if you would... Uh, Crank the lights off and run that, and then we'll pray together, okay? He was awake before the sun With his Bible opened up Seeking truth with every single page he turned Anyone could see My daddy lived what he believed With a gentle heart A passion for Jesus burned I know we had our times we disagreed But the longer I live it's clear Like the Savior who died to show us all the way. So I'll take up my cross and trace the steps. Surrendering is how I'll serve Him best.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being our perfect Heavenly Father, and thank you for the father figures that have been involved in each of our lives. Lord, there were our own dads, and I know in my life there have been other men who have stepped into that role and been my mentors and guides and advisors and sometimes my critics, and I thank you for that. So, Lord, I pray that you would help every man here today to follow your example. Help us, Lord, as men to stand up and be counted, to be the kind of father or the kind of father figure to others who aren't our children, but the kind of father that you are to us. Lord, grant us wisdom. Thank you for each woman who is here, and we pray that you would give them wisdom and gentleness as they encourage and, and, and rebuke in whatever they need to do, Lord, to make us to be the men that you want us to be. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Happy Father's Day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We're dismissed.